as you listen to the Lord closing this section of scripture, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, He's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of one born blind? The word of the Lord. Um, so this, this passage is a little unique in our series. We've been going through a series of seven signs, miracles, John calls them signs, and seven I am statements. And in, in this particular I am statement, it is the only animate I am statement. Every other one of them, he is a, kind of a thing. Uh, he is light. He is bread. He is way. He is life. He is truth. We're going to be coming up on he is vine. At one point, he just says, I am. I, I would love to have seen the conversation. I am what? I am. Okay, finish the statement. I did. I am. But in this one, Jesus chooses a very common, um, I don't want to say caricature, uh, persona in the ancient world. And part of the reason that I think it's a little challenging for us, everyone in Israel either would have been a shepherd, been related to a shepherd, or knew a shepherd really well. They watched the inner workings of a shepherd all the time. It was common. It was every day. I don't know about you, but I have never met a shepherd in the U.S. And those who do shepherding here don't do it anything like Jesus was referring to. So Jesus actually tells three different stories that you and I don't necessarily pick up on because we don't realize that, that there, are, there are different places that a shepherd is at with their sheep. And, and we come to it, and, and it almost has to be explained to us. And the reason I think it's challenging is because I think Jesus was choosing a story that needed no explanation. Jesus was, was referring to himself as the one animate thing, alive, a person, a, a character, uh, 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 an archetype, if you will, and said, I'm that. It reminds me of when I finished a, a series of, uh, we had a conference in Nepal, we were in Pokhara, um, about the middle of the country, and we were done, and we would always have evaluations and, you know, teach us, what, it, what could we do better, what could we do more of, what can we do less of, what worked, what didn't work. And I remember one of the 
reviewers wrote in there, many of your illustrations were helpful, but many of them were not. Well, you just love hearing that when you're done with a conference. They said, you know, you repeatedly talked about the beach and the ocean and the feeling of waves knocking you over. And Nepal is landlocked. Very few of us have any money to travel anywhere. We know what an ocean is, but I've never felt sand in my toes. I've never been knocked over by a wave. Could you use some more culturally relevant illustrations? It was fair. In some ways, uh, Jesus is using an incredibly culturally relevant illustration that doesn't translate as easily for us. And so because of that, I'm, I'm going to try to do two things this morning. I'm actually going to preach two shorter messages. One of them, I'm going to, to teach on what the Word is saying here. On the second one, I want to try to do what Jesus was trying to do with his, his uh, learners. And I think it'll make sense when we get there. Okay, let me start by saying that um, shepherd passages were also very prolific in the Old Testament. There are lots of them. And in all of those passages, God is the shepherd. His people are the sheep. There are leaders who are under shepherds. God has really high expectations for those under shepherds, those, those people that God uses and leads with, but the sheep are still his. Um, I don't know if I've ever heard Ryan do this, but I've done it. I've talked about, oh, my people. Oh, no, you're not mine. You're God's. You're his sheep. I just get to shepherd here as an under shepherd. By the way, if you haven't met me, my name is Matt. Um, I've been on staff here for a while, and I love talking to people here. Um, so in this context, we, the, the, the people who were listening to Jesus at the time, first of all, would have been very, very familiar with the concept of shepherd. Second of all, they would have been very familiar with the idea that God is ultimately our shepherd. Let me see if I can just walk you through that really quickly. Oh, that's not it. Okay, maybe I'll walk you through it. Can we skip this? Thank you for not having the volume on. Appreciate that. Okay, the Good Shepherd. That's great. Can you guys see that? It says the Good Shepherd when the teens are not dismissed. So, there we go. Okay. Uh, Psalm 20. Nope, that's not it either. What's that? Am I pushing the wrong button? Yeah. What, what's the, uh, all those tech people call it, uh, EPCAC or something? Error between chair and computer? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. I, I made you guys look bad, and it was, it was really me, wasn't it? Usually it's the other way around, by the way, you know? Yeah. Okay. It's just vengeance. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Familiar passage. Psalm 70, verse 20. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron, the under-shepherds. But who led them? God led them. God is the shepherd. When we, uh, when we, your people, the sheep of your pastor, will praise you forever from generation to generation, we will recount your praise. 
Uh, again, in the Psalm 80, verse 1, just one Psalm later, hear us, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. Psalm 100, know that the Lord is God. It is he who has made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. This is a theme. It goes through Isaiah. It goes through Ezekiel. It's throughout the whole Old Testament that God is their shepherd. And they know what a shepherd is. They are probably related to one, or they might be one. Okay, are you, are you with me? Following? Did I like do overkill on that? Um, so here's my question: Which of those Old Testament passages did Jesus exegete in in John chapter ten? Yeah, all of them or none of them? He didn't reference a single one of them. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, obviously. <coughs> But I think that Jesus was using a very common story, and he actually tells three stories in this 21-verse passage, and we'll walk through those when, when we get there. But he does it in a way that he's trying to get not at your intellect, but rather at your, your, your emotions. And by the way, he succeeds, because at the end, what happens? They're divided. I mean, some people are saying, he's demon-possessed, he's a nut. Why are you listening to this nutcase? And others are saying, no, 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 he, he, he's the Messiah. I mean, this, this polarized group of people that, that, that have responded to just three stories. Um, some of you have been, if you've been here a year, will remember this slide. Back when we did um, spiritual stations, uh, if you weren't here, I'll give you just a quick briefer because it, it, this will help to make sense of what I'm trying to do here. Um, we all have preferences in how we approach God and how we conceive of God. And this work by Urban Holmes, do I sound like I need one? Okay. You know, it's kind of like you get in the store and someone offers you a mint. Never say no. There's <laughs> probably a reason that they're offering you a mint. So on this grid, um, by the way, you guys made me sound good. You turned the microphone down while I drank. That was impressive. Well done. Yeah. Since you did that, I won't push the back button again. I'll try to get it right. Okay. Add illustration later in message. Eric. Okay. Thank you. That's good. You do know that abusing someone who has the microphone is a dangerous thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so on this grid, there are those who approach God from kind of a thinking, and those who approach God from a feeling. There are those who primarily conceive of God as imminent, He's here, He's concrete, he, he, He's present. And there are those who tend to gravitate toward that He's transcendent. Uh, he, you know, our Father here, who art in heaven there. The, the transcendence of God, the omnipotence of God, the omnipotence of God, the, and and they're all right. It's just how we prefer to approach God and and conceive of God because God is both imminent and He is transcendent. Uh, we do approach God with our feelings. We do approach God with our with our cognitive thinking. They're they're both legitimate. Um, and last week, if you can recall, if you were here last week, 
Um, Ryan did a textbook job of a message that focuses on the thinking and imminent God. Uh, he walked us through the story of Jesus healing a blind man verse by verse. As he walked us through verse by verse, he helped us to understand the historical context in which this, this, this uh, miracle, this sign is happening. He helped us explore who Jesus' uh, multifaceted audience was. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> that Jesus had actually several audiences. And he even touched on, and I appreciated it, that, that John wrote this to an audience that was a generation away from the people that Jesus was talking to. And remember, John tells us that he recorded these things so that you, immediately, the people I'm writing to, a generation later, uh, uh, actually partially developed church by this point. I'm writing to you. And so that's part of the story as well as we, as we unpack and and as he left us, he gave us some clear universal application in our context. Excellent textbook. It was very left brain, which, again, wonderful. We need it. With this passage, Jesus actually is being very right brain. It's why he tells three stories with three different contexts, all around one theme in a way that every one of them would have just made those immediate jumps. They would have been there. When he talked about the gatekeeper versus being the door versus the shepherd and, and where the wolves get at and where thieves sneak in, he, he actually uses three different pictures that they would have been aware of, and they just listened to it. And in fact, if you recall, <clears throat> in the first story, at the end, uh, it says they didn't understand the figure of speech. It, by the way, when, when, you, when you teach to try to get to the right brain, when you try to shoot at the right brain, what it means is you're not coming away with, with uh, clear universal applications, but rather you're trying to create a context in which the Holy Spirit can speak to each person individually. And what's your takeaway? What's God trying to say to you? It's kind of like often someone will stand up in a meeting and say, well, you know, as Pastor Matt said, and whenever I hear that, I go like, uh-oh. First of all, did I really say that? And about half the time, no, I didn't, but apparently the Spirit of God did. And that's what they remembered, which I prefer. You know, may I decrease and may He increase. Um, so, today what I'd like to do is, is do some right or left brain stuff, unpack the passage quickly, and then I, I want to actually kind of abandon the passage. And rather than teach what Jesus taught, try to teach a little bit like Jesus taught. When I was in my 20s, I had the privilege of, of sitting under Leighton Ford. Leighton Ford was the vice president of uh, Billy Graham Association. Uh, he was one of their main speakers, uh, prolific author, prolific speaker. He also happened to be Billy's brother-in-law. But his, his organization had this, this mantra, this, this kind of tagline. Their goal was to lead more like Jesus that we might lead more to Jesus. And so for the second half, I, I want to try to just step into a more right-brained approach. And for the first half, I'll do a left brain, if you will allow me. And my hope is that when we get into the right brain, it's about images. It's about a narrative. It's about imagination. It's about a creative mixing of themes, which, by the way, Jesus takes a very, very common story and introduces a crazy idea 
that makes sense when you try to compare the two stories, but, but they couldn't even begin to think about. Remember, God is their shepherd, and they know shepherds. And shepherds will do what? They'll, shepherds will lay down their life for the sheep. They're willing to die for their sheep because the shepherd looks. But the idea of a God who would die for me because I need it? Whoa, what's that? I mean, he blends these, these two pieces of the story, God as a shepherd and what a real shepherd is like, and brings them together in a way to introduce a critical piece of who he is as the good shepherd. But in a way that they, they kind of got to get it. They have to, they have to discover it. The Spirit of God needs to enliven it to them. And my hope is that when we're done, there may be some universal applications that hopefully, particularly as you approach the table for communion, you ask God, what are the individual applications? What are you saying, not to us, but what are you saying to me, God? What's truth for me? Okay, are, are, can we go there? Is that okay? If it's not, we are anyways. But yeah, I stole that from Ryan. He does it all the time. Ask permission and says, I don't care what you say. Okay, so this first one, um, the Good Shepherd, the first story, the passage that was first read before the first song, is the sheep pen in town. This is a communal sheep pen. There are multiple shepherds who all store their sheep in this communal sheep pen. There is an actual gatekeeper of this sheep pen. Each individual shepherd is not the gatekeeper, but there is an assigned gatekeeper for the communal sheep pen. And Jesus is referring to this. He actually talks about when the shepherd goes to the gatekeeper. Interestingly, as Jesus starts this story, it's one of the few places where he tells us very clearly who he's speaking to. You, you can remember from our previous messages that, that when we're trying to unpack what Jesus is saying, we're talking about all these different audiences, and they're all there here. But when he starts this first story, it's specific. Well, I'll, say, I'll read it to you. Because he says to the Pharisees, listen to this. Where are we? Truly, I tell you Pharisees. You know, um, Pharisees get a bad rap in the, in the scriptures. They were trying to follow God. Uh, their own egos got caught up, and as is often the case, many of them went astray. Some were good. Nicodemus was an example of, of a really good Pharisee who was seeking God and, and, and trying. Um, Jesus actually tried to work with the gatekeepers. Pharisees were gatekeepers. They were the ones that let you know, the, the, the sheep in the pen, when they were safe to go. And remember when Jesus would heal someone, he would often say what? Oh, go present yourself to the gatekeeper. Go present yourself to the priest. He'd, often he'd even say, don't, don't mention that I did it. Just go like you're supposed to in the law. So Jesus was fine to work with the establishment that God had set up. But when the establishment went sideways, he said, we're not going sideways. This is where we're going. And so to the gatekeepers, to the Pharisees, he tells this first story. It's a communal pen. <coughs> there are, there's a gatekeeper. And real shepherds come to the town gatekeepers. Thieves don't. Because thieves are known to be thieves. And they're going to go around the backside. But how do you know one's a true shepherd? Well, the gatekeeper should recognize them. 
But if the, if the gatekeeper doesn't recognize them and opens up the gate anyways, the sheep are not going to follow the, the liar, the fake, because why? They know his voice. Now, I've been told, I've never observed this, but I've been told that even today in Israel, when you go to some of these communal pens and when they open them up, that several shepherds will just start walking in different directions and, and give these calls. And these calls, the sheep are all mingling, and within about three or four minutes, as all the sheep get out, they all just start to go in the direction of their shepherd. They hear the shepherd, they recognize the voice, and that's where they go. That's the image that Jesus is portraying, that he's using. He's saying, he's telling something that they know. And when it's all done, the Pharisees are like, yeah, we're not quite sure what he said. We're not sure we get it. And so as is typical of Jesus, when they don't get it, he ramps it up a little bit. He turns it up a little bit. In this second one, it's the sheep pen out in the pasture. So often these shepherds would not bring their sheep back every night to town, but they would stay out in the, in the hinterlands. And at night, they wanted their sheep all in one spot. And so there would be these, whoever gets there gets the sheep pen. And so the shepherd, and it's smaller, uh, it's less elaborate. There is no door. And so literally, the shepherd lays in front of the door. He gets all the sheep in. I'm told that the shepherd will actually take his staff and hold it really low as he gets all the sheep to go in. So that as each sheep goes by, the staff, he has to crawl, the sheep has to crawl under the staff, and the staff pushes all the wool back so that the shepherd can actually individually inspect each sheep to make sure that they're still doing okay. Do you ever feel like God has you under a staff and you're trying to move forward and it's really uncomfortable? Just maybe. That's his kindness. Just maybe. So, so he gets more direct. He doesn't call himself a shepherd at this point. But when he says, I'm the door, they all get it. They recognize that he's identifying as the shepherd. And because they recognize the shepherd, and the shepherd is also God, and he's calling himself the shepherd, emotions are starting to raise a little bit. He's making some pretty bold statements. But he's not doing it directly yet. That's the beauty of story. Sometimes stories, it's why Jesus often talked in parables and in stories, because they have this way of kind of getting underneath your defenses and then <laughs> So too, Jesus is telling this second story about this sheep pen out in the pasture where he is the door. And he says, I lead my sheep. By the way, notice what he says, I lead my sheep. So when my children were all learning to drive, we had a 1998 Honda Civic five-speed. And uh, I figured if they couldn't learn to drive on the five-speed, well, then they weren't safe driving the five-speed. They all begged me to take their test on the Toyota that was an automatic. And I said, no. And they said, why? I said, because you're not going to drive the Toyota. You're going to drive the Honda. Well, we know that, but at least for the test, can we drive the Toyota? No, because if you can't pass the test in the stick, then you're not good enough to drive the stick when I'm not around. The other benefit, by the way, is it took them a year to get their license, and they don't pay any insurance until they actually get their license. So there was a there was a bit of a perk there, but 
they, they drove that car so much that when Josiah, he was my firstborn, about a year into it before Catherine got her learner's permit, every now and then Josiah would say, hey, can I take my car? And I'd say, sure, you can take your car. Uh, where is it? Because that one's mine. Notice Jesus, my sheep. He's already starting to identify with God. He's making a, a dynamic claim, but he's doing it by story in the way that they get it. When I lead them, I'll lead them in and out. There is a thief, and that thief only wants to take. I'm not like the thief that wants to take, but rather I come that I might give. And I come that I might give life, and in fact, not just give life, but give life abundantly. That this, by the way, this was my theme verse when I first met the Lord. When I finally said yes to Jesus and gave up a bunch of garbage in my life, that the garbage was fun, but it was fun for a season. You know, sin is fun, but it's fun for a season. And when that season ends, it generally gets pretty ugly. And so as I, I gave up all that garbage, I did it because, because Jesus said, I've come to give you life and that more abundantly. And I thought I believed him. So I figured, okay, I'll take you up on it. I want some of that life. I want some of that abundance. So Jesus is saying, this is the way I treat my sheep. I give them abundant life. Okay. The third one, they're not in the pen at all. <clears throat> and this is where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And now in this case, he's making a distinction between him and between a hireling. Because for a hireling, when the sheep are all grazing, they're all over the place. They're out in the field. And there's, and there's many of them. And it's much easier for a wolf to sneak up and snag one. It's a little more dangerous. It's a little less contained. If, you're gonna, if I'm going to take on a wolf, I'd rather have like a pen behind me where he can't get in and I only got to deal with him here. But if you got to deal with a wolf out there, who knows how many wolves? And how are you going to protect? He says, I'm not like those hirelings. Because when they see the wolf, they get scared and they run. No, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd who stays by my sheep. And into this, he introduces this idea. If he's the good shepherd, he's God, who's going to lay down his life for the sheep. I just love the way he does it. Because in the one story of knowing what shepherds are like, that makes all the sense in the world. In the other story of knowing what God's like as the good shepherd, that makes no sense at all. And they're forced emotionally to try to wrestle with this. This is the ultimate question, by the way. Is he the good shepherd who lays down his life for your life, that he might give you life more abundantly, and that you'll hear his voice, and you'll respond to his voice, and you'll follow? This is the ultimate question of, of Christianity for us. He is the shepherd. Do we hear his voice and say yes to his leading? Even when he's pushing us under this thing that looks like he's keeping us out when he's really just inspecting us. Okay. So that's all your left brain stuff. I'd like to just take the next 10, 15 minutes. And rather than talk about the good shepherd, I want to talk about the good rancher. Uh, you folks have been on homesteads. In fact, I've been at some of your homes 
where you actually have like a ranch. Uh, you have a house. You have a well. Uh, you have crops. Uh, they should have some animals there. There's no animals in that drawing because many of you have chickens or, or I think some of you have sheep. Um, I wouldn't call you a shepherd, but you're sheep. Um, you have some other animals. Um, there, there are these, these like out places which represent our gifts and our abilities. There's fruit trees back there. But then, like, like any internal life, this is a, a picture of your own internal life that, that you need, you're called to care for as you walk with Jesus. Your, the house is your identity. The well is, is where you, you receive sustenance. You receive the, the, the living water of life, the word of God, the crops feed you, the fruit trees are produced in your life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against these, there, there, there is nothing against them, that we can just have them. But let's be honest, in our own interior life, many of us have some weed patches, and you need to weed. And I love the way this drawing puts the weed patches in the front, but all the way in the back is a snake pit. That's the one that we all know is there. We trendily hide it. We don't want others to see it. We usually ignore it until one of the snakes get out and bite us. And then we've got to go deal with the snake pit. But what I think is most important about this, and, and it's the only one I'm going to explain a lot. The rest I'm not going to explain much, but notice the nice fence that goes around the homestead, the interior life. Folks, it is good for us to have appropriate boundaries in our life. And then there's a gate where we let, we let people into our inner life. There are people who are welcome to come into my inner life, and they can go anywhere they want. They can come almost any time, but there's very, very, very few of those. Then there are more who are welcome into my gate when I invite them in. Maybe they're an expert on my well. Maybe they know how to weed better than I do and can help me. Maybe my fruit trees look kind of thick. And I need them to come. Maybe, maybe my snake pit, I'm, I'm finally willing to deal with it. And as part of a community in our interior life, we, we, we maintain the fence of our life, we maintain the gate, but we allow people in because God desires that we, that we nurture one another. The, the word one another, I don't know, it's like a hundred and some odd times in the scripture. We one another, we one another, we one another. And so if this ranch is a picture of our interior life. I'm going to show you some more ranches. And I'm not going to say a lot, but I'm going to pray before I show them and just see if God might speak into your life and what you might need to do about it. First of all, in a perfect world, we would learn healthy boundaries from our heritage. In a, in a good life, in a healthy life, we would have learned many of the things. Unfortunately, uh, well, when this is done well, um, the end result is I'm accountable to you, but I'm responsible for me. I mean, think about parenting. Isn't this what parenting is all about? That, that you want to get your child to the place where they are, are accountable to me, but responsible for themselves. Now, when they're one, they can't be responsible for themselves. When they're two, they might be responsible enough to buckle their own seatbelt. They're not responsible enough to cook their own dinner. I don't know, maybe they can feed themselves. My mom wouldn't let me feed myself until I could do it without making a mess. Lori gave Josiah at age one a plate of spaghetti and said, have at it. 
And about 10 minutes into it, with spaghetti sauce all over his face and hair, I'm like, okay, reach my grouse out level, honey. Um, enjoy, you know. But she didn't mind. She had a sink right there with a sprayer and just take care of it afterwards. But, but the goal is to train children to the place where they learn to be responsible for themselves but accountable to others. Unfortunately, many of us are only accountable to ourselves. And we want you to be responsible for us. In fact, I would argue that almost all dysfunctional relationships are, are like that, where we invert I'm accountable to me, but you're responsible for me. And so in the world, we have imperfection. Our heritage is flawed. And so we are unhealthy. So I just want to walk us through a, a couple simple pictures, kind of like Jesus' three stories, and see if you see yourself in any of it. And as we do it, I want to start with a quote from Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard said, You can do nothing without God. But if you do nothing, it'll probably be without God. But there is a part that we play in caring for our internal life. God God has to do it, but we tend the crops. We pull up the water. We make sure the fence is good. We open and close the gate based on, on His input into our life. So the first ranch I want to show is the Fix Me Ranch. This is the place where we conclude, I can't possibly run this place. Notice there's no gate, broken down fence. It assumes that other people will become responsible for me. Instead of instruction from others, we weren't rescued by others. But not accountable. It drains friendships, ruins marriages. The Love Me Ranch. This is the ranch that says, we'll build to seek. Where we've come to believe that we must give unlimited access in order to be loved. Because we so want love that we'll take any facade of it. We'll build to seek. Do as you please. Just love me. Then there's a stay-out ranch. People will be so hurt that they conclude that people cannot be safe. Predetermined to mistrust. And, and there are some who actually do this through facades. They, they give a, a happy facade of you are welcome. Give the impression of open, but never really let you in. And others who, although they still want to be loved, are so afraid of it that they push. It's almost the, still love me now? Still love me now? See, we're made to be responsible for ourselves, but accountable to one another. This is the one that we often get in some of our more conservative churches. The goal is control. This is where one ranch, it seems healthy, looks healthy, starts to annex other ranches. 
We can't give advice, only directives. Relationship is one of control and submission. My own brokenness gets papered over with legalistic systems that I can try to follow. And the only choice is submit or rebel. Can't tell you how many children I've seen leave because that was their only choice. And then the last ranch before we move to communion. No one's home. This is the Rip Van Winkle ranch. Always out helping someone else. And I help someone else because I need to do it for me. I get identity from it. Maybe I I had the absent parent or the addicted parent and there was parental inversion and I had to be the parent when I was only nine. And so I've learned that the way you exist is by, is by constantly being a parent with everyone. When you're so busy out there helping and doing, I, my, my first church, I had a, a, a guy, we were, we were, we were, um, we bought two properties, we raised one to put a parking lot on, the other one's going to be a parsonage, it's going to be done in six weeks and I was going to move in. Two years later, we were still working on it. Uh, this one guy, he showed up all the time. I mean, worked all kinds of hours to, to clean things out. And every, every time he would start a project, it, it would grow. He would remove one wall and he'd say, no, I, I removed the drywall, but now we need to do the electrical. And then we have to redo the plumbing. And then we have to redo the fuses. And then we have to move the wall. And, and I thought he was a wonderful saint. And then about a year and a half into it, I realized he was just staying away from home. He didn't want to deal with his own stuff. No one was home. By the way, if, if any of you are in counseling or your clergy, um, our professions are rampant with these folks. <laughs> Do the right things for the wrong reasons. Okay. I think if Jesus were in our context today, he might say, I'm the good rancher. I'll help you fix your fences. We can drain the moat or instill a gate. I'll send people to help you with your well or help you plant crops or teach you how to weed. People to whom you can be accountable but will love you enough to never become responsible for you. If I did this well, half of you hate me and half of you like me. If our communion people can come to their tables. Kelly, if you can play. You know, communion is this really uh, unique ordinance that God has given us. I, I like the use of a loaf of bread. I understand the individual cups. They both get at something that's unique. Each person comes to communion as an individual saying yes to Jesus again. But we partake collectively. We are in a common union. There is this reality of I remain responsible for me, but I'm accountable to you, that we are in this together, that we partake of one loaf, that there's one spirit, that there's one church. And the good shepherd who loved you so much 
said, I lay down my life for the sheep so that they might have life and have it abundantly. As you come forward for communion, I'm going to say a word of prayer. I'm going to bless the elements. I'm going to ask you to come forward, take the bread, take the cup, return to your seats, and we'll partake of the bread together and we'll partake of the cup together. Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, it is well with my soul, though. Sea billows low. You have taught me. You have taught me. You have taught me. So, Lord, I I pray that in Jesus' name, you would send your spirit into the heart of each one of us. We might ask for your help to be a good rancher of the internal life that you have given us and the abundant life that you provided on the cross. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The outside will come to the table from the